Section four of Thrilling Adventures by Land and Sea by James O. Brayman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section four. Deaf Smith, the celebrated Texan spy. About two years after the Texan Revolution, a difficulty occurred between the new government and a portion of the people which threatened the most serious consequences, even the bloodshed and horrors of civil war. Briefly, the cause was this the constitution had fixed the city of austin as the permanent capital where the public archives were to be kept with the reservation however of a power in the president to order their temporary removal in case of danger from the inroads of a foreign enemy or the force of a sudden insurrection conceiving that the exceptional emergency had arrived as the comanches frequently committed ravages within sight of the capital itself houston who then resided at washington on the brazos dispatched an order commanding his subordinate functionaries to send the state records to the latter place which he declared to be pro tempore the seat of government it is impossible to describe the stormy excitement which the promulgation of this fiat raised in austin the keepers of hotels boarding-houses groceries and faro-banks were thunderstruck maddened to frenzy for the measure would be a death-blow to their prosperity in business and accordingly they determined at once to take the necessary steps to avert the danger by opposing the execution of houston's mandate they called a mass meeting of the citizens and farmers of the circumjacent country who were all more or less interested in the question and after many fiery speeches against the asserted tyranny of the administration it was unanimously resolved to prevent the removal of the archives by open and armed resistance to that end they organized a company of four hundred men one moiety of whom relieving the other at regular periods of duty should keep constant guard around the state house until the peril passed by the commander of this force was one colonel morton who had achieved considerable renown in the war for independence and had still more recently displayed desperate bravery in two separate duels in both of which he had cut his antagonist nearly to pieces with the bowie knife indeed from the notoriety of his character for revenge as well as courage it was thought that president houston would renounce his purpose touching the archives so soon as he should learn who was the leader of the opposition morton on his part whose vanity fully equalled his personal prowess encouraged and justified the prevailing opinion by his boastful threats he swore that if the president did succeed in removing the records by the march of an overpowering force he would then himself hunt him down like a wolf and shoot him with as little ceremony or stab him in his bed or waylay him in his walks of recreation he even wrote the hero of san jacinto to that effect the latter replied in a note of laconic brevity if the people of austin do not send the archives i shall certainly come and take them and if colonel morton can kill me he is welcome to my ear-cap on the reception of this answer the guard was doubled around the state house chosen sentinels were stationed along the road leading to the capital the military paraded the streets from morning till night and a select caucus held permanent session in the city hall in short everything betokened a coming tempest 
one day while matters were in this precarious condition the caucus at the city hall was surprised by the sudden appearance of a stranger whose mode of entering was as extraordinary as his looks and dress he did not knock at the closed door he did not seek admission there at all but climbing unseen a small bushy-topped live oak which grew beside the wall he leaped without sound or warning through a lofty window he was clothed altogether in buckskin carried a long and heavy rifle in his hand wore at the button of his left suspender a large bowie knife and had in his leathern belt a couple of pistols half the length of his gun he was tall straight as an arrow active as a panther in his motions with dark complexion and luxuriant jetty hair with a severe iron-like countenance that seemed never to have known a smile and eyes of intense vivid black wild and rolling and piercing as the point of a dagger his strange advent inspired a thrill of involuntary fear and many present unconsciously grasped the handles of their side-arms who are you that thus presumes to intrude upon gentlemen without invitation demanded colonel morton ferociously essaying to cow down the stranger with his eye the latter returned his stare with compound interest and laid his long bony finger on his lip as a sign but of what the spectators could not imagine who are you speak or i will cut the answer out of your heart shouted morton almost distracted with rage by the cool sneering gaze of the other who now removed his finger from his lip and laid it on the hilt of his monstrous knife the fiery colonel then drew his dagger and was in the act of advancing upon the stranger when several caught him and held him back remonstrating let him alone morton for god's sake do you not perceive that he's crazy at the moment judge webb a man of shrewd intellect and courteous manners stepped forward and addressed the intruder in a most respectful manner my good friend i presume you have made a mistake in the house this is a private meeting where none but members are admitted the stranger did not appear to comprehend the words but he could not fail to understand the mild and deprecatory manner his rigid features relaxed and moving to a table in the centre of the hall where there were materials and implements for writing he seized a pen and traced one line i am deaf he then held it up before the spectators as a sort of natural apology for his own want of politeness judge webb took the paper and wrote a question dear sir will you be so obliging as to inform us what is your business with the present meeting the other responded by delivering a letter inscribed on the back to the citizens of austin they broke the seal and read it aloud it was from houston and showed the usual terse brevity of his style fellow citizens though in error and deceived by the arts of traitors i will give you three days more to decide whether you will surrender the public archives at the end of that time you will please let me know your decision sam houston after the reading the deaf man waited a few seconds as if for a reply and then turned and was about to leave the hall when colonel morton interposed and sternly beckoned him back to the table the stranger obeyed and morton wrote you were brave enough to insult me by your threatening looks ten minutes ago are you brave enough now to give me satisfaction the stranger penned his reply i am at your service morton wrote again who will be your second? 
the stranger rejoined i am too generous to seek an advantage and too brave to fear any on part of others therefore i never need the aid of a second morton penned name your terms the stranger traced without a moment's hesitation time sunset this evening place the left bank of the colorado opposite austin weapons rifles and distance a hundred yards do not fail to be in time he then took three steps across the floor and disappeared through the window as he had entered what exclaimed judge webb is it possible colonel morton that you intend to fight that man he is a mute if not a positive maniac such a meeting i fear will sadly tarnish the lustre of your laurels you are mistaken replied morton with a smile that mute is a hero whose fame stands in the records of a dozen battles and at least half as many bloody duels besides he is the favourite emissary and bosom friend of houston if i have the good fortune to kill him i think it will tempt the president to retract his vow against venturing any more on the field of honour you know the man then who is he who is he asked twenty voices together deaf smith answered morton coolly why no that cannot be deaf smith was slain at san jacinto remarked judge webb there again your honour is mistaken said morton the story of smith's death was a mere fiction got up by houston to save the life of his favourite from the sworn vengeance of certain texans on whose conduct he had acted as a spy i fathomed the artifice twelve months since if what you say be true you are a madman yourself exclaimed webb deaf smith was never known to mrs mark he has often brought down ravens in their most rapid flight and killed comanches and mexicans at a distance of two hundred and fifty yards say no more answered colonel morton in tones of deep determination the thing is already settled i have already agreed to meet him there can be no disgrace in falling before such a shot and if i succeed my triumph will confer the greater glory such was the general habit of thought and feeling prevalent throughout texas at that period toward evening a vast crowd assembled at the place appointed to witness the hostile meeting and so great was the popular recklessness as to affairs of the sort that numerous and considerable sums were wagered on the result at length the red orb of the summer sun touched the curved rim of the western horizon covering it all with crimson and gold and filling the air with a flood of burning glory and then the two mortal antagonists armed with long ponderous rifles took their stations back to back and at a preconcerted signal the waving of a white handkerchief walked slowly and steadily off in opposite directions counting their steps until each had measured fifty they both completed the given number about the same instant and then they wheeled each to aim and fire when he chose as the distance was great both paused for some seconds long enough for the beholders to flash their eyes from one to the other and mark the striking contrast betwixt them the face of colonel morton was calm and smiling but the smile it bore had a most murderous meaning on the contrary the countenance of deaf smith was stern and passionless as ever a side view of his features might have been mistaken for a profile done in cast iron the one too was dressed in the richest cloth the other in smoke-tinted leather 
but that made no difference in texas then for the heirs of heroic courage were all considered peers the class of inferiors embraced none but cowards presently two rifles exploded with simultaneous roars colonel morton gave a prodigious bound upward and dropped to the earth a corpse deaf smith stood erect and immediately began to reload his rifle and then having finished his brief task he hastened away into the adjacent forest three days afterward general houston accompanied by deaf smith and ten other men appeared in austin and without further opposition removed the state papers the history of the hero of the foregoing anecdote was one of the most extraordinary ever known in the west he made his advent in texas at an early period and continued to reside there until his death which happened some two years ago but although he had many warm personal friends no one could ever ascertain either the land of his birth or a single gleam of his previous biography when he was questioned on the subject he laid his finger on his lips and if pressed more urgently his brow writhed and his dark eyes seemed to shoot sparks of livid fire he could write with astonishing correctness and facility considering his situation and although denied the exquisite pleasure and priceless advantages of the sense of hearing nature had given him ample compensation by an eye quick and far-seeing as an eagle's and a smell keen and incredible as that of a raven he could discover objects moving miles away in the far-off prairie when others could perceive nothing but earth and sky and the rangers used to declare that he could catch the scent of a mexican or indian at as great a distance as a buzzard could distinguish the odor of a dead carcass it was these qualities which fitted him so well for a spy in which capacity he rendered invaluable services to houston's army during the war of independence he always went alone and generally obtained the information desired his habits in private life were equally singular he could never be persuaded to sleep under the roof of a house or even to use a tent cloth wrapped in his blanket he loved to lie out in the open air under the blue canopy of pure ether and count the stars or gaze with a yearning look at the melancholy moon when not employed as a spy or guide he subsisted by hunting being often absent on solitary excursions for weeks and even months together in the wilderness he was a genuine son of nature a grown-up child of the woods and prairie which he worshipped with a sort of pagan adoration excluded by his infirmities from cordial fellowship with his kind he made the inanimate things of the earth his friends and entered by the heart's own adoption into brotherhood with the luminaries of heaven wherever there was land or water barren rocks or tangled breaks of wild waving cane there was deaf smith's home and there he was happy but in the streets of great cities in all the great thoroughfares of men wherever there was flattery or fawning base cunning or craven fear there was deaf smith an alien and an exile strange soul he hath departed on the long journey away among those high bright stars which were his night lamps and he hath either solved or ceased to ponder the deep mystery of the magic word life he is dead 
therefore let his errors rest in oblivion and his virtues be remembered with hope escape from a shark while she was lying in the harbour at havana it was very hot on board the royal consort about four o'clock in the afternoon of the fourteenth of july there was not the slightest movement in the air the rays of the sun seemed to burn down into the water silence took hold of the animated creation it was too hot to talk whistle or sing to bark to crow or to bray everything crept under cover but sambo and cuffy two fine-looking blacks who sat sunning themselves on the quay and thought him very pleasant weather and glistened like a new bristol bottle sambo and cuffy as we have said were sitting on the quay enjoying the pleasant sunshine and making their evening repast of banana when they heard the plunge into the water by the side of the royal consort and presently saw brooke watson emerging from the deep his hands to his eyes to free them from the brine balancing up and down spattering the water from his mouth and then throwing himself forward hand over hand as if at length he really felt himself in his element ah massa braca roared out sambo as soon as he could recover from his astonishment enough to speak oh senor he white man never go to swim oh de tiburon he very bad bite come de shark he hab very big mouth he eaty a senor all up down such was the exclamation of sambo in the best english he had been able to pick up in a few years service in unlading the american vessels that came to the havana it was intended to apprise the bold but inexperienced stranger that the waters were filled with sharks and that it was dangerous to swim in them the words were scarcely uttered and even if they were heard had no time to produce their effect when cuffy responded to the exclamation of his sable colleague with ah oh, mother de dios si si de tiburon de shark ah san salvador o oh, pobre ho one martyr todo comer he eat him all down betty soon this second cry had been drawn from the kind-hearted negro by seeing at a distance in the water a smooth shooting streak which an inexperienced eye would not have noticed but which sambo and cuffy knew full well it was the wake of a shark at a distance of a mile or two the shark had perceived his prey and with the rapidity of sound he had shot across the intervening space scarcely disturbing the surface with a ripple cuffy's practised eye alone had seen a flash of his tail at the distance of a mile and a half and raising his voice to the utmost of his strength he had endeavoured to apprise the incautious swimmer of his danger brooke heard the shout and turned his eye in the direction in which the negro pointed and well skilled in all the appearances of the water under which he could see almost as well as in the open air he perceived the sharp forehead of the fearful animal rushing toward him head on with a rapidity which bade defiance to fight in a moment the dreadful monster had shot across the entire space that separated him from brooke and had stopped as if its vitality had been instantly arrested at the distance of about twelve feet from our swimmer brooke had drawn himself up in the most pugnacious attitude possible and was treading water with great activity the shark probably unused to any signs of making battle remained for one moment quiet and then like a flash of lightning shot sidelong off and came round in the rear 
brooke however was as wide awake as his enemy the plashing of the oars of sambo and cuffy warned the sagacious monster of gathering foes whirling himself over on his back and turning up his long white belly and opening his terrific jaws set round with a double row of broad serrated teeth the whole roof of his mouth paved with horrent fangs all standing erect sharp and rigid just permitting the blood-bright red to be seen between their roots he darted toward brooke brooke's self-possession stood by him in this trying moment he knew very well if the animal reached him in a vital part that instant death was his fate and with a rapid movement either of instinct or calculation he threw himself backward kicking at the same moment at the shark in consequence of this movement his foot and leg passed into the horrid maw of the dreadful monster and were severed in a moment muscles sinews and bone in the next moment sambo and kufi were at his side and lifted him into the boat convulsed with pain and fainting with loss of blood brooke was taken on board bandages and styptics were applied and in due season the youth recovered the place of his lost limb was supplied by a wooden one and industry temperance probity and zeal supplied the place of a regiment of legs when employed to prop up a lazy and dissipated frame adventure with pirates from fortune's adventures in china early in the morning the whole fleet was in motion starting all together for the sake of mutual protection the wind and tide were both fair and we proceeded along the coast with great rapidity and were soon out of sight of the min and its beautiful and romantic scenery the plan of mutual protection soon seemed to be abandoned and the vessels soon separated into threes and fours each getting on as well and as fast as it could about four o'clock in the afternoon and when we were some fifty or sixty miles from the men the captain and the pilot came hurriedly down to my cabin and informed me that they saw a number of jandus right ahead lying in wait for us i ridiculed the idea and told them that they imagined every junk they saw to be a pirate but they still maintained that they were so and i therefore considered it prudent to be prepared for the worst i got out of bed ill and feverish as i was and carefully examined my firearms clearing the nipples of my guns and pistols and putting on fresh caps i also rammed down a ball upon the top of each charge of shot in my gun put a pistol in each side pocket and patiently awaited for the result by the aid of a small pocket telescope i could see as the nearest junk approached that her deck was crowded with men i then had no longer any doubts regarding her intentions the pilot an intelligent old man now came up to me and said that he thought resistance would be of no use i might manage to beat off one junk or even two but i had no chance with five of them being at that time in no mood to take advice or be dictated by any one i ordered him off to look after his own duty i knew perfectly well that if we were taken by the pirates i had not the slightest chance of escape for the first thing they would do would be to knock me on the head and throw me overboard as they would deem it dangerous to themselves were i to get away at the same time i must confess i had little hopes of being able to beat off such a number and devoutly wished myself anywhere rather than where i was 
the scene around me was a strange one the captain pilot and one or two native passengers were taking up the boards of the cabin floor and putting their money and other valuables out of sight among the ballast the common sailors too had their copper cash or tsin to hide and the whole place was in a state of bustle and confusion when all their more valuable property was hidden they began to make some preparations for defence baskets of small stones were brought up from the hold and emptied out on the most convenient parts of the deck and were intended to be used instead of firearms when the pirates came to close quarters this is a common mode of defence in various parts of china and is effectual enough when the enemy has only similar weapons to bring against them but on the coast of fukin where we were now all the pirate junks carried guns and consequently a whole deckload of stones would be of little use against them i was surrounded by several of the crew who might well be called job's comforters some suggesting one thing and some another and many proposed that we should bring the junk round and run back to the men the nearest pirate was now within two or three hundred yards of us and putting her helm down gave us a broadside from her guns all was now dismay and consternation on board our junk and every man ran below except two who were at the helm i expected every moment that these also would leave their post and then we would have been an easy prey to the pirates my gun is nearer you than those of the jandus said i to the two men and if you move from the helm depend upon it i will shoot you the poor fellows looked very uncomfortable but i suppose thought they had better stand the fire of the pirates than mine and kept at their post large boards heaps of old clothes mats and things of that sort which were at hand were thrown up to protect us from the shot and as we had every stitch of sail set and a fair wind we were going through the water at a rate of seven or eight miles an hour the shot from the pirate fell considerably short of us i was therefore enabled to form an opinion of the range and power of their guns which was of some use to me assistance from our cowardly crew was quite out of the question for there was not a man among them brave enough to use the stones which he had brought on deck and which perhaps might have been of some little use when the pirates came nearer the fair wind and all the press of sail which we had crowded on the junk proved of no use to us again the nearest pirate fired on us the shot this time fell just under our stern i still remained quiet as i had determined not to fire a single shot until i was quite certain my gun would take effect the third broadside which followed this came whizzing over our heads and through the sails without however wounding either the men at the helm or myself the pirates now seemed quite sure of their prize and came down upon us hooting and yelling like demons at the same time loading their guns and evidently determined not to spare their shot this was a moment of intense interest the plan which i had formed from the first was now about to be put to proof and if the pirates were not the cowards which i believed them to be nothing could save us from falling into their hands their fearful yells seemed to be ringing in my ears even now after this lapse of time and when i am on the other side of the globe the nearest junk was now within thirty yards of ours their guns were loaded and i knew that the next discharge would completely rake our decks 
now said i to our helmsman keep your eyes fixed on me and the moment you see me fall flat on the deck you must do the same or you will be shot i knew that the pirate who was now on our stern could not bring his guns to bear upon us without putting his helm down and bringing his gangway at right angles with our stern as his guns were fired from the gangway i therefore kept a sharp eye upon the helmsman and the moment i saw him putting the helm down i ordered our steersmen to fall flat on their faces behind some wood and at the same moment did so myself we had scarcely done so when bang bang went their guns and the shot came whizzing close over us splintering the wood about us in all directions fortunately none of us were struck now mandarin now they were quite close enough cried out my companions who did not wish to have another broadside like the last i being of the same opinion raised myself above the high stern of our junk and while the pirates were not more than twenty yards from us hooting and yelling i raked their decks fore and aft with shot and ball from my double-barrelled gun had a thunderbolt fallen among them they would not have been more surprised doubtless many were wounded and probably some killed at all events the whole of the crew not fewer than forty or fifty men who a moment before crowded the deck disappeared in a marvellous manner sheltering themselves behind the bulwarks or lying flat on their faces they were so completely taken by surprise that their junk was left without a helmsman her sails flapped in the wind and as we were still carrying all sail and keeping on her right course they were soon left a considerable way astern another was now bearing down upon us as boldly as his companion had done and commenced firing in the same manner having been so successful with the first i determined to follow the same plan with this one and to pay no attention to his firing until he should come to close quarters the plot now began to thicken for the first junk had gathered way again and was following in our wake although keeping at a respectful distance and three others although still further distant were making for the scene of action as fast as they could in the meantime the second was almost alongside and continued giving us a broadside now and then with his guns watching their helm as before we sheltered ourselves as well as we could at the same time my poor fellows who were steering kept begging and praying that i would fire into our pursuers as soon as possible or we should all be killed as soon as we came within twenty or thirty yards of us i gave them the contents of both barrels raking their decks as before this time the helmsman fell and doubtless several were wounded in a minute or two i could see nothing but boards and shields which were held up by the pirates to protect themselves from my firing their junk went up into the wind and for want of a helmsman was soon left some distance behind us while i was watching this vessel our men called out to me that there was another close on our lee bow which i had not observed on account of our mainsail luckily however it proved to be a ningpu wood junk like ourselves which the pirates had taken a short time before but which although manned by these rascals could do us no harm having no guns 
the poor ningpu crew whom i could plainly see on board seemed to be very much downhearted and frightened i was afterward informed that when a junk is captured all the principal people such as the captain pilot and passengers are taken out of her and a number of the pirates go on board and take her into some of their dens among the islands and keep her there until a heavy ransom is paid both for the junk and the people sometimes when a ransom cannot be obtained the masts and spars and everything else which is of any value are taken out of her and she is set on fire the two other piratical junks which had been following in our wake for some time when they saw what had happened would not venture any nearer and at last much to my satisfaction the whole set of them bore away End of section four.